0: I heard a sermon on uh, this passage that says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And the the person who who preached the sermon may have been Tim Keller, I'm not sure, but he was saying, it's funny how the scripture says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, in other words, sometimes it's not possible. (laughs) But as far as it depends on you, you can live at peace with people. And Jesus died and reconciled, to reconcile us to himself and to God, and that we might be reconciled to one another. And he said, the two commandments I give you are love God and love one another. Uh, and he's given us the power to do that. So I just love the emphasis in the Bible on this reconciliation, and hearing stories of the struggle that it really is uh, for, for many, all of us really. Um, but we have Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who's blazed this amazing act of love and forgiveness on the cross and said, you go and do likewise. It's an amazing thing. So I've been really holding on to this image of Christ as the good shepherd. Another way to translate that in the Bible is beautiful shepherd. Because good just sounds kind of like morally good, but this is a more fully orbed good than you can imagine that Jesus is. The beautiful, perfect shepherd of our soul so I preached on it last week from John 9 and 10, but just for me personally, for what I'm going through in my personal life, thinking about Jesus being the shepherd of my soul, the shepherd of this church, has that image has really uh, resonated with me in, in some really awesome ways. And I'm looking forward today to look a little bit more at this concept of the good shepherd. We're going to be in John 14 today. We just finished up John last week in our daily Bible readings through Mission 119 which you'll see on the front of your uh, bulletin. But yeah, last week we talked about Jesus being our good, beautiful shepherd and the gate for the sheep. And uh, and in this passage that we read last week, we heard Jesus' authoritative call. Uh, He went to the man uh, born blind. He found him and he healed him. And we learned that Jesus is still speaking and guiding, and that Jesus' sheep, far from being stupid animals, because sheep are not stupid, it turns out. Um, they're, they're able to learn. They're able to know the voice of their shepherd. We, we are compared to an animal that has an uncanny ability to learn the voice of and then follow after their true shepherd. That's the image of, of the sheep. Uh, we're also really, we heard a lot So we do follow other people around us a lot. That's another tendency that sheep have. But fundamentally, sheep are really good at hearing their shepherd's voice, learning what it sounds like, and then not responding to anybody else. And that's what Jesus says, that we we are his sheep. And he is the gate for the sheep. Jesus lays at the entrance to the sheepfold in this image, and he guards it all night long. He sees what comes in. He sees what goes out. And he is the good shepherd. He leaves sheep they are safe to find the one that's missing in extravagant ways. We've sung about that today. I love John 9 or maybe it's 1027. It says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. It's an amazing, amazing passage about Jesus, and uh, it just gives you this image that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, and Jesus is the shepherd of our souls. So today we're going to look at this concept of how Jesus is our good shepherd, again, in in practical terms. uh, Speaking in our day— in our lives at this present time as we follow Jesus? What does it look like for Jesus to be the good shepherd when he's not physically present with us as he was with the disciples? So we're going to be looking at John 14 to do that. Before we get into that passage, I wonder if you could bring to mind someone that has been very, very important to you in your day-to-day existence and bring to mind a time when a person like that in your life moved away the dreaded words, I'm, we're moving. Or maybe perhaps for some of you, and for, for myself included, the dreaded words, I'm dying. I'm not going to be with you. Um, we, many of us have experienced this. People that are, we feel are indispensable to our lives, and all of a the sudden they're moving or they're leaving, and they're not going to be physically with us the way they once were. Some people are so important that we can't even possibly imagine what life would be like. It could be something as deep as a spiritual mentor who met with you on a regular basis and pointed you to God, someone who you learned to pray from, who you feel that somehow when you pray with them, it seems like it's an amplified voice because of who they were in your prayer life. Someone who you'd run things in your life by, and they'd give you spiritual direction or wisdom from God, it seemed, or a verse from Scripture, or just something so wise. It could be a trusted counselor. It could just be someone who produces great joy in your life. Someone where you say, you know, I don't really have a lot of joy, personally, that's what you say, but there's, when this per, I see this person every week, and when I see them, I know I'm going to get really happy. They're going to bring joy into my life. I can't imagine not having them with me. Um, many, of, many of you are probably thinking of parents, a mother or a father, or grandparents, a grandfather or grandmother, uh, or a mentor maybe even a pastor. I hope there's a pastor in your life like that or has been or a spiritual leader. The truth is that none of us likes change very much, but the nature of life is that life is always changing. All of us on a deep level long for there to be someone who is unshakably present in our lives um, on a day-to-day basis who we can lean on to help us carry the burdens and the pains of life. Someone to help us make sense of this thing that we're going through when so much seems like it doesn't make sense. Well, me and my wife were on vacation a couple of weeks ago in the south, the deep, deep south. Uh, I read a book. Maybe some of you have read it. And if you haven't read it, I would just commend it to you and ask you to go and read it if you want to be inspired by a woman named Cory Tenboom called The Hiding Place. Uh, you can get it on audio too for you those that don't read physical books. I would listen to it. So Corey and her amazing family uh, were Christians, and they helped to hide Jews from the Nazis in the Netherlands during World War II. And throughout this book, *The Hiding Place*, Corey finds herself being pastored by her sister, by her older sister Betsy, who is one of the most amazing Christians I've ever had the pleasure of reading about. So the book is by Corey Ten Boom. She writes about her sister's influence in her life. Um, her older sister had this huge and deep belief that all people are deeply loved by Jesus. That was her unshaking belief. And she was always boldly plotting to share God's love and even teach God's love to her Nazi captors. After the Ten Boom family is captured and put in camps and separated from one another, um, for the, for the, when the Nazis found out they were trying to help the, Jew, the Jewish people, um, Corey's heart became very hardened at times, which is understandable, full of even hatred for the Nazis that she writes in her book. And Betsy would say things to Corey, taking for granted the, that, oh, well, we need to pray for them. They're our enemies. We need to pray for them. Pray that God's love breaks through for them, just like Jesus taught us to. Betsy's influence in her life was remarkable. So as, Betsy, as Corey's heart became hardened, um, she looked to Betsy. And Betsy's Christ-like love would just break through the crust. Here's a quote from the book. And then, incredibly, Betsy began to pray for the Germans up there in the plains, caught in the fist of the giant evil, loose in Germany. Oh, Lord, I whispered. Listen to Betsy, not me, because I cannot pray for these men at all. So Betsy did end up dying in a concentration camp. But before she died, she had this vision from God. She had a dream, actually, um, from God that she shared with her sister about what her and Corey would do once they were released from prison. Betsy always maintained this amazing teachable spirit uh, to learn life lessons in extremely difficult situations in the camps um, with the help of the Good Shepherd. And she, and she always said to Corey, when we're released, we've learned these hard lessons about God's love. We're going to teach everybody about the love of God. And one of the last things she related to her sister Corey before she was taken away She said, we must tell people what we have learned here. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that Jesus is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corey, because we have been there. Talk about amazing. Talk about inspiring. Read this book. Let's end the sermon. Go home and read this book. I think you can see from these quotations and stories why I have lately been telling my friends that my greatest spiritual mentor and pastor is Betsy Ten a person who lived long ago who didn't write any books. But she is Christ in this story. Talk about embodying the mission of Jesus. This little side character who died at the hands of the Nazis was such an inspiration to her sister who survived mercifully that Corey fully embodied the vision that Betsy had to teach about the love of God after she was released. She ended up teaching that Jesus' love is deeper still than the most evil thing in the world. Deeper than hatred. And that at the cross, we see deeper than the power of death itself. And she taught that. And Corey went on to embody her sister's spirit and mission with her many books and ministries. And it's a testament to the ministry she took up after her sister had left. The embodiment of mission, direct transmission of the mission. This is what Jesus is working to do in John 14, as he's preparing his disciples to leave. His disciples looked at him just the way that Corey looked at her sister Betsy. He was the master. He was the one that had the right attitude at the right time, when she could, when they couldn't even fathom. What, what's he doing? Just like Betsy was about to leave Corey in John 14, Jesus was about to leave his disciples and go to the cross, which was his ultimate destination and his earthly mission. And these people who had been with him for three plus years are just deeply troubled. The way that you would be troubled when when you find out that someone is leaving you that's very influential in your life that you can't picture living without. When someone tells you the news it's all about to change, this is what Jesus is trying to counsel his disciples through, this kind of feeling, this kind of emotion. And the disciples had been watching Jesus for years, healing the sick, giving salvation to sinners, people that society said, nope, they're no good, leave them alone. He went out to those people, the good shepherd. They'd watched him perform miracles that attested to who he was. They'd watched him transform lives, uh, making people who were far away from God in their own eyes and in the eyes of society into his closest inner-circle disciples. Perhaps most amazingly to the disciples, this man who had confounded all the smartest religious teachers of his day with his teaching, this master of philosophy and theology and truth, that they always looked to and said, yeah, that's what he said. Good job, Jesus. He was going. They're going to be all alone. Though none of us have walked for three years with Jesus and his physical body like these disciples did? I've often had the fantasy, and I'll bet that if you've been following Christ for a while, you've had this fantasy as well. If only Jesus was with us. You ever think that to yourself? That'd be nice. Have the man with us. It would make life so much easier. He would explain things to us that we didn't get. He would tell us what to do in every situation. He would heal our friends and our family and save the people that are so lost in our lives that we can't even picture them uh, coming to God. He'd be such an encouragement to us when we were down. He'd give us feedback on how we were doing and help us to do it better. And most importantly, he'd have the answers. If only Jesus were here. The amazing truth of John 14, as we'll see, is that as troubled as Jesus' disciples were at the thought of him leaving, Jesus promised them that it would be better for them if he left. He promised them. And he also promised that for the people that would follow him after the disciples. He prays in the end of John for us who will come after the disciples. And he, this promise to his disciples who, who couldn't believe what he said, it's going to be better if I leave. In John 16, he said this. And that truth is, is true for us as well. And there's a variety of specific reasons that he said this would be, that we're going to look at today. But we, along with the disciples, need to hear this morning, why is it better for us to walk in that truth? How is it beneficial to us um, that Jesus has left? And what does that look like for us as disciples of Jesus today? What does it look like to have an internalized good shepherd, a spiritual presence of Jesus Christ within you, as opposed to outside of you? Let's read John 14, 1-11. Jesus comforts his disciples... Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father don't you believe that i am in the father and that the father is in me the words i say to you are not just my own rather it is the father living in me who is doing his work believe me when i say that i am in the father and the father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves first of all it's better that jesus left the disciples rather than staying with them this this passage says Because Jesus was going to prepare a place for them. A dwelling place for his followers. And the way to get to that dwelling place is through Jesus himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. To his troubled disciples, Jesus assures them that their relationship with him will not be severed after he leaves. And perhaps uh, our our reading from uh, Romans 8 this morning is a good reminder for, for you as well that your relationship is not severed with Christ just because you don't see him and just because you don't walk with him in his physical body. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ when when you've gone through the way of Jesus. So to his troubled disciples, Jesus says, my relationship with you will not be severed when I leave. The relationship you have with me as your good shepherd will be ongoing, and not even my death or physical absence will shake that reality. The concepts are somewhat mysterious here though with the language that's used. Jesus seems to talk to the disciples like they know what he's talking about. And he's like, no. They're like, no, we don't know what you're talking about. So he tries to explain himself. Jesus tells his disciples, don't be troubled. Don't be frustrated or fearful because you can trust in me. The first part feels really con- concrete. Trust in me because I am preparing a place for you to dwell with me. And there are many rooms there for many people. That's a really comforting thought. For anyone who, who trusts in Jesus in this lifetime, you can be assured that nothing can separate you from Christ in the life that is to come. There is a place prepared for you by the loving Father. Um, it's an amazing truth. Trust in me. I'm preparing a place for you to dwell with me. And there are many rooms there for many people. And then when asked about how to get there, this is the more mysterious part. Jesus says, I am the way there. Um, and since you know me, you know how to get there. It's pretty, pretty, pretty amazing language. Jesus had a concrete promise that anyone who trusts in him and believes in him has nothing to worry or fret about. The relationship will not be se- severed by sin or even death. That If someone knows Jesus, they actually know the Father because he and the Father are one. And that the way that they go to get to the place he's prepared for them is Jesus himself. What are you hear in this passage, in this mysterious language, trust, trust in me, believe in me, think the best of my love and care for you. Jesus further says, don't, don't be confused about who God is. I am God. You know me. You've been with me for three years. And if you've seen me, you've seen God. And I will both prepare a place for you and will get you there. So in saying these things, Jesus says, you know, God is not this general amorphous spirit who is unknowable like many world religions would teach or people would say, God is a a specific person and personality and I am him. I am God. And if you trust in me, I will see to it that our relationship is never cut or severed by anything and I will make sure that you dwell with me for all eternity beyond this short life if you will trust that I am the way to get there. So the first bit of good news Jesus gives as to why it will be better when he leaves is that the relationship with him cannot be severed. But in fact, if the disciples keep trusting in Jesus, if we keep trusting in Jesus, the disciples will both know specifically who God is, Jesus Christ, and also dwell with God forever, with Jesus taking care of all the travel arrangements. That's what it says to me. And we likewise are challenged to trust in Jesus this morning completely. Jesus is the way. No one comes to the Father but through him. And he and the Father are one. And you can trust him. And if you trust in him, there's a place prepared for you. In so many words, Jesus encourages us, encourages his disciples. Hey, you you seem to have some trust in God. Trust also in me. You know? John 14, 12 uh, to 21, we'll read. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it for it, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you. And will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So here we see Jesus, Jesus saying, Oh, by the way, I'm also the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is God. And, and the Spirit is in me, and it will be with, in you. And you've been with me, so you know the Spirit. You, you get where this is going. This is mysterious language. But this is an amazing uh, encouragement from Jesus to trust in God. Just like Corey Ten Boom embodied her sister Betsy's mission and vision, and really fully established the work that Betsy had in her heart to do. You know The reason Jesus gives as to why it's better for him to leave is that the disciples will then embody his earthly mission. They will enflesh Jesus Christ himself. His spirit will be in them. They will be in him, and he is in the Father. What an invitation. Just like Betsy in enfleshed and fleshed out uh, the love forgiveness and an essential nature of Jesus Christ through his spirit within her. You know, that's what, that's what Jesus is trying to do here. It's better for him to leave because if he leaves, he will actually not be leaving. He'll be going in, into their life, becoming a spiritual presence that's with them every day that can be cultivated. If Jesus stuck around, the disciples, just like us, would always be deferring to him looking to him. What do we do? What do we do? If Jesus' followers will believe and trust in Jesus, this passage says they will do greater works than Jesus did, which is a stupendous thing to say. It really is. And what does he mean? He means more people who have my spirit within them will be doing the very things I'm doing and it's going to be multiplied across the face of the earth. We call it the body of Christ. We call church the body of Christ because it's a bunch of normal people who Jesus saved and then filled with his spirit to continue doing the works that Jesus did. It's better that he left because the church has been do, able to do greater works than Jesus, hear me out, because there's more of us doing them over these ages. So it sounds almost like something you'd be scared to write if it weren't in the Bible. But That's what the Bible says. Um, edgy stuff here. In fact, parts of this you feel you could have read out of some kind of weird spiritual book, but it's, it's in the Bible. It's, it's, it is a bit mysterious, but it is, it's, very, it's clear enough what it means. So if, 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 um, if Jesus had stuck around, I'm sure the disciples would have constantly been deferring to him, looking to him, expecting him to do something. But he says that they will continue doing the same works of God to shepherd people, to seek and save people, to heal the sick And just continue establishing the work that Jesus did on the earth. Jesus promises that whatever works these people, his disciples, will do in his name, he will help them to do. He will give them what they ask for in prayer. Because he's still with them. That's the big surprise. Jesus is not actually leaving them as orphans. But instead, Jesus' spirit is going to live within every follower of Jesus from that day forward as an inner spiritual presence. So bringing it back to the beginning, instead of having the man Jesus to walk around with, who would explain everything to them, who would tell them what to do or not to do in various difficult situations, who would heal friends and family and save lost people, who would encourage them with just the right words at just the right time, who would have answers to all of their hard questions, who would give them continual feedback as they journeyed, instead of this, The disciples would now embody Jesus by walking as Jesus did with his spirit within them. By the way, doing all of those things that Jesus did for them internally. Now the disciples, and now you, Christian, as a follower, if you follow Jesus, will explain things that happen around you with God's inner wisdom, with the mind of Christ that's within you, by Jesus' spiritual presence in yourself. The spirit of Christ... Uh, Christian answer, whispers wisdom in our ears and teaches us what to do when things get sticky or tough in our lives, when there aren't any really clear answers. The Spirit will give us wisdom if we will cultivate it. We, and the disciples after Jesus, can boldly trust in Jesus and touch the sick and heal them in Jesus' name. And remember, not everyone that encountered Jesus was healed. There were sometimes when there were partial healing, sometimes where he didn't do many miracles in a certain town because of lack of faith and stuff. It's the same as it is today. It's not a formula. Every time you pray for someone, they're not healed, but sometimes when you pray for people, they're healed. These are the things that happen. Most importantly, us believers and followers of Jesus, we can reach out to those people that are the furthest away in society's eyes, who are unworthy in the eyes of our society. And say, actually, no. God loves every person. Everyone has equal value in Christ. And there's no one who is beyond the love of Jesus. We can be that enfleshed, incarnated presence of Jesus, like Betsy Tenboom Boom was, um, in very tr- difficult situations. Because we have the Good Shepherd living within us. The Good Shepherd. So instead of spectating now, we can follow the Good Shepherd's voice. And the people that were now following in obedience to Christ would now embody Jesus for others. And the Bible says in John 20 that the church is, is especially blessed if they believe this truth and take it on as their personal mission. Remember, Thomas said, I need to touch your wounds to see if you are really Jesus. And he said to Thomas, blessed are those who believe but have not seen So you haven't seen Jesus in the flesh as a a human being. Jesus says, blessed are you who take this truth and run with it, who have never seen me in the flesh. Blessed are you who believe the Spirit to be within you and then seeks to understand and hear what Jesus says and follow him. And we believe something really, really wild, inspiring mystery and awe and wonder. As followers of Christ, we believe that we have been invited to join in with God fully. And if we trust in Jesus as the way and obey the commands of Christ to love God and love others with an open and soft heart, that we, we ourselves will be weaving in and out of the relationship that is in the Godhead. That, that just as Jesus is in God and God is in us and we are in Jesus and all this beautiful dance and maneuver and the ways God is trying to, to bring his love into our communities to reach out to people that are far off, to continue the mission of Jesus, we are invited into that amazing and vital work. Let's read on. Actually, we'll we'll backtrack to, to verse 20. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will tabernacle with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now. Let us leave. So as followers of Christ, we believe that we have been invited to join in with God fully, to be fully vested in in with God. That if we trust in Jesus as the way obey, obey the, the law of love, to love God with all of our hearts, to love our neighbor as ourselves. to pray for our enemies, to forgive those who persecute us, as we embody Jesus just like, just like Betsy Ten Boom did, with an open and soft heart, that we will just begin weaving in and out of this relationship that God shares within himself in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, On that day, it says, Jesus says we will realize that Jesus is in the Father, that we are in Jesus, and that Jesus is in us. And what day is he talking about? On the day that the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit of Christ comes to dwell within us. That's when we'll realize that we're all wrapped up in this. And Jesus boldly says that anyone who loves him and obeys his teaching will be loved by Jesus, and because Jesus is God, loved by the Father. If we will love God and love others sacrificially as Jesus did, God will make his home in us. The Spirit of God will be within us, teaching us all things, advocating for us, reminding us us of all the things Jesus taught, bringing peace, bringing help, even bringing timely words of wisdom and knowledge that we desperately need in our lives. Because life is not easy. And not all of the answers are always completely clear. Though many things are clear, many things are not. We need the ministry of Jesus Christ within. And we need a community of people who hear from him in order to navigate life. And by the way, how do you come to know what Jesus' voice sounds like? You read read the, the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Come see what this man is like. If you've given up on faith kind of secretly and you're just kind of like going through the motions, going to church, and here we go again, Noah's Ark, and you know, this and this, and I don't know if I believe, look at Jesus and work your way backwards. This is a remarkable, remarkable man and the cornerstone of our faith. Um, I like to say Jesus is the, the surprise ending to Israel's story, troubled story in the Old Testament. And he is the surprise beginning to my story. That's what I say. I don't have all this baggage from, you know, being an ancient person in the Old Testament times. It's good to understand that stuff so you can understand Christ. I, that's not my baggage. Jesus fulfilled that story perfectly, then he began a new story in the church. Jesus is the surprise ending to that story and the surprise beginning to my story. Um, I'm very Christ-centered because it's in the name, Christian, Right? Um, go to Christ. Look back. If you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. Maybe God confuses you. Look at Christ. The exact representation of, of God's likeness is in Him. In Him, the fullness of deity dwells. Look into His eyes. And you can really see Him if you read these stories and you pray. But in that day, when we receive the Spirit, we will realize that all of this is true that we are in God, God is in us, Jesus is in the Father, the Spirit's in us. This beautiful dance. And like Betsy Tenboom, who loved God and loved others in obedience to Christ's commands, if we will love God and love others sacrificially as Christ did, God will make his home in us. And the Spirit of God will teach us, advocate for us, remind us of all things, bring peace, bring help, even timely words of wisdom. I'm learning that the Good Shepherd is with me in dark valleys where I, if I don't think about it, I just consider that I need to get through this side quest in order to get back to God at some point. You know, you start thinking of your life compartmentalized. Like, oh, he couldn't be here. I need to get through this so I can get back to God. The news is that he's there. He's there in the dark places. That's where he is. And he's very comfortable there. Jesus hung out on the edges of the camp, and went to the dark places to find the people that everyone considered to be um, worthless throwaway people. You know, if you have that feeling about yourself, it's not from God. But Jesus comes for people like you and for me. And for other people, our society doesn't deem to be worthy of life. So the call this morning is to the church. And it's just an amazing passage um, written for us who would follow Jesus after he physically leaves the earth. The call is to realize that what we have been offered is actually better than having Jesus physically with us. We are not stupid sheep. We are smart enough and capable enough to know and follow the Good Shepherd's voice within us to obey Jesus by following the law of love, loving God and loving others, and to boldly step out to embody Christ's mission for the world as assistant shepherds, -shepherds, under-shepherds, seeking and saving those who are lost and overlooked by society, advocating for those who cannot advocate for themselves, offering healing prayer for the sick, sharing the good news that God has not left us as orphans, and that there are many rooms in God's house for many people to fill. Um, if they will realize that Jesus himself is the way. So God may confuse people and seem abstract. Jesus is not, but Jesus is the way to God. And when you've looked into Jesus' eyes and seen him, you can look back and understand God in a way that no one has in previous uh, generations before Christ came. So we'll go back to that statement. If only Jesus was here. It would be so much easier. He would explain everything to us. He would tell us what to do in every situation. He would heal our friends and family and save the people we love in our lives who are so lost. He would be such an encouragement to us and he would give us feedback on how we are doing and help us to do it better. If only Jesus were here. The Bible says he is. So don't miss out on this reality. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Come. And we, we are going to just take a few minutes to sing about the reckless love of God, which bothers people. People are bothered by this song, by the way. Maybe you're one of them. But what does reckless mean? But he leaves the 99 to go find the one. That's kind of like a, the idea of God spending so much time and energy to get the people that are farthest away from him into his sheepfold. From a human perspective, that might seem reckless. From a shepherd's perspective, but from God's perspective, he leaves the 99 to find the one. That's who he is. He came to seek and save what was lost. He didn't come for the sick. He came for the healthy. He came for the sick. So as the worship team comes, get in touch with the, with the spirit within you. If you believe in Jesus, realize that Jesus is in God, that you are in Christ, and Christ's spirit is within you. If you do not know the good shepherd, maybe you've heard his voice this morning, it's time to just say yes and open your life up to him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the destination. He is God in the flesh. And the spirit within us is that very God that we're talking about, Jesus Christ.